0: Chapter 64, Stubb's Supper. Stubb's whale had been killed some distance from the ship. It was a calm. So, forming a tandem of three boats, we commenced the slow business of towing the trophy to the Pequod. And uh, now, as we 18 men with our 36 arms and 180 thumbs and fingers slowly toiled hour after hour upon that inert sluggish corpse in the sea, and it seemed hardly to budge at all, except at long intervals. Good evidence was hereby furnished of the enormousness of the mass we moved for upon the great canal of Hang Ho or whatever they call it, in China, four or five labourers on the footpath will draw a bulky freighted junk at the rate of a mile an hour. But this grand argosy we towed heavily forged along as if laden with pig lead in bulk. Darkness came on. But three lights up and down in the Pequod's main rigging dimly guided our way, till drawing nearer we saw Ahab dropping one of several more lanterns over the bulwarks. Vacantly eyeing the heaving whale for a moment, he issued the usual orders for securing it for the night, and then, handing his lantern to a seaman, went his way into the cabin, and did not come forward again until morning. Though in overseeing the pursuit of this whale, Captain Ahab had evinced his customary activity call it to call it so, yet now that the creature was dead, some vague dissatisfaction or impatience or despair seemed working in him, as if the sight of that dead body reminded him that Moby Dick was yet to be slain. And though a thousand other whales were brought to his ship, all that would not one jot advance his grand monomaniac object. Very soon you would have thought that from the sound on the Pequod's decks that all hands were preparing to cast anchor in the deep, for heavy chains are being dragged along the deck and thrust rattling out of the portholes. But by those clinking links the vast corpse itself, not the ship, is to be moored. Tied by the head to the stern and by the tail to the bows, the whale now lies with its black hull close to the vessels, and seen through the darkness of night, which obscured the spars and rigging aloft, The two, ship and whale, seem yoked together like colossal bullocks, whereof one reclines while the other remains standing. By the way, a little item may as well be related here. The strongest and most reliable hold which the ship has upon the whale when moored alongside is by the the flukes, or tail, and as from its greater density, that part is relatively heavier than any other, excepting the side fins, its flexibility, even in death, causes it to sink low beneath the surface so that with the hand you, you cannot get at it from a boat in order to put the chain round it. But this difficulty is ingeniously overcome. A small, strong line is prepared with a wooden float at its outer end and a weight at its middle while the other end is secured to the ship. By adroit management, the wooden float is made to rise on the other side of the mass. So that now having girdled the whale, the chain is readily made to follow suit, and being slipped along the body is at last locked fast round the smallest part of the tail, at the point of junction with its broad flukes or lobes. If moody Ahab was now all quiescence, at least so far as could be known on deck, Stubb, his second mate, flushed with conquest, betrayed an unusual but still good-natured excitement. Such an unwanted bustle was he in that the staid Starbuck, his official superior, quietly resigned to him for the time, the sole management of affairs. One small helping cause of all this liveliness in Stubb was soon made strangely manifest. Stubb was a high liver. He was somewhat intemperately fond of the whale as a flavorish thing to his palate. A steak! A steak ere I sleep! You, Dago, overboard you go. Cut me one from his small. Here be it known that though these wild fishermen do not as a general thing, and according to the great military maxim, make the enemy defray the current expenses of the war, at least before realizing the proceeds of the voyage, yet uh, now and then you find some of these Nantucketers who have a genuine relish for that particular part of the sperm whale designated by stub, comprising the tapering extremity of the body. About midnight that steak was cut and cooked, and lighted by two lanterns of sperm oil, Stubb stoutly stood up to his spermaceti supper at the capstan head, as if that capstan were a sideboard. Nor was that Stubb the only banqueter on whale's flesh that night, mingling their mumblings with his own mastications, thousands on thousands on thousands of sharks swarming round the dead leviathan, smackingly feasted on its fatness, The few sleepers below on their bunks were often startled by the sharp slapping of their tails against the hull within a few inches of the sleepers' hearts. Peering over the side, you could just see them, as before you heard them, wallowing in the sullen black waters and turning over on their backs as they scooped out huge globular pieces of the whale of the bigness of a human head. This particular feat of the shark seems all but miraculous. How at such an apparently unassailable surface They contrive to gouge out such symmetrical mouthfuls remains a part of the universal problem of all things. The mark they thus leave on the whale may best be likened to the hollow made by a carpenter in countersinking for a screw. Though amid all the smoking horror and diabolism of a sea-fike, sharks will be seen longingly gazing up to the ship's decks like hungry dogs round a table where red meat's being carved, ready to bolt down every killed man that is tossed to them. And though while the valiant butchers over the deck table are thus cannibally carving each other's live meat with carving knives all gilded and tasseled. The sharks also, with their jewel-hilted mouths, are quarrelsomely carving away under the table at the dead meat. And though were you to turn the whole affair upside down, it would still be pretty much the same thing, that is to say, a shocking sharkish business enough for all parties. And though sharks also are the invariable outriders of all slave ships crossing the Atlantic, systematically trotting alongside to be handy in case a parcel is to be carried anywhere, or a dead slave to be decently buried, and though one or two other like instances might be set down touching the set terms, places, and occasions when sharks do most socially congregate and most hilariously feast, yet there is no conceivable time or occasion when you will find them in such countless numbers and in gayer or more jovial spirits than around a dead sperm whale moored by night to a whale ship at sea. If you have never seen that sight, then uh, suspend your decision about the, the propriety of devil worship and the expediency of conciliating the devil. But as yet Stubb heeded not the mumblings of the banquet that was going on so nigh him, no more than the sharks heeded the smacking of his own epicurean lips. "'Cook! Cook! Where's that old fleece?' he cried at length, widening his legs still further as if to form a more secure base for his supper, and at the same time darting his fork into the dish as if stabbing with his lance. "'Cook! Hey, you cook! You sail this way, cook!' the old black, not in any very high glee at having been previously roused from his warm hammock at a most unseasonable hour, came shambling along from his galley. For, like many old blacks, there was something the matter with his knee-pans, which he did not keep well scoured like his other pans. This old fleece, as they called him, came shuffling and limping along, assisting his step with his tongs, which after a clumsy fashion were made of straightened iron hoops. This old ebony floundered along, and in obedience to the word of command, came to a dead stop, on the opposite side of Stubbs's sideboard. When, with both hands folded before him and resting on his two-legged cane, he bowed his arched back still further over, at the same time sideways inclining his head so as to bring his best ear into play. "Cook," said Stub, rapidly lifting a rather reddish morsel to his mouth. Uh, "Don't you think this steak is rather overdone?" "'You've been beating this steak too much, cook. "'It's too tender. "'Don't I always say "'that to be good, a whale steak must be tough. "'Now there are those sharks now over the side. "'Don't you see? "'They prefer it tough and rare. "'What a shindy they're kicking up. "'Now, cook, go and talk to them. "'Tell them they're welcome to help themselves civilly "'and in moderation, but they must keep quiet. "'Blast me if I can hear my own voice. "'Away, cook, deliver my message. "'Here, here, take this lantern.' "'snatching one from his sideboard. "'Now then, go and preach to him.' Solemnly taking the offered lantern, "'old Fleece limped across the deck to the bulwarks, "'and then with one hand dropping his light low over the sea "'so as to get a good view of his congregation, "'with the other hand he solemnly flourished his tongs, "'and leaning far over the side, "'in a mumbling voice began addressing the sharks, "'while Stubbs, softly crawling behind, "'overheard all that was said. Chris I was ordered here to say that you must stop that damn noise there. You hear? Stop that damn smacking of the lip. I, Stubb said that you can fill your damn bellies up to the Hatsons, but by God, you must stop that damn racket. Oh, cook! Here interposed Stubb, accompanying the word with a sudden slap on the shoulder. Cook? Why, damn your eyes, you mustn't swear that way when you're preaching. That's no way to convert sinners, cook. Oh, <laughs> that. Preach to him yourself. Suddenly, turning to go, No, no, go, go on, go on. Well, then, Beloved fellow critters, Right, exclaimed Stubb approvingly. Coax him to it, try that. And Fleece continued, Do you, is all, sharks, And by nature, very, very voracious, Yet I say to you fellow critters, That, uh, that voraciousness Top that damn slapping of the tail. How do you think they hear? I suppose you keep up such a damn slapping and biting there. Cook, cried Stubb Corin. I won't have that swearing. I'll talk to him gentlemanly. Once more, the sermon proceeded. Your war well, fellow critters, I don't blame you so much for. That, that is nature. I can't my help. But to govern that wicked nature, there's the pint. You is sharks Satan! but if you goblin the shark in you why then you be angel for all angel is nothing more than the shark well governed. Now look here, brother just try once to be civil, helping yourselves from that whale. Don't be tearing the blubber out your neighbor's mouth, I say I is not one shark do, do right as told that that whale and by God, None of you has the right to that whale. That whale belongs to someone else. I know some of you has very big mouth, bigger than others, but then that big mouth sometimes has the small bellies, so that the brigness of the mouth is not to swallow it, but to bite off the blubber for the small fry of sharks that can't get under the scrouds to help themselves. Well done, old fleece! cried Stubb. That's Christianity. Go on. No use going on. The damn willers will keep a scrousing and slappin' they tell them as stuff they don't hear one word. No use of preaching. Such damn guttons, as you call 'em, till their bellies is full and their bellies is bottomless, and when they get them full, they won't hear you then, for then they sink in the sea. Go fast asleep on the coral, and can't hear nothing at all, no more forever and ever. Upon my soul, I'm about of the same opinion, sir. So- "'Give the benediction, Fleece, and I'll away to my supper.' "'Upon this, Fleece, holding both hands over the fishy mob, "'raised his shrill voice and cried, "'Cursed fellow, critters, us! "'Kick up the damnedest row as ever you can! "'Fill your damn bellies till they're bust, and then die!' "'Now, cook,' said Stubb, resuming his supper at the capstan, "'stand just where you stood before there, over against me.' and pay particular attention. All attention, said Fleece, again stooping over upon his tongs in the desired position. Well, said Stubb, helping himself freely, meanwhile, I shall now uh, go back to the subject of this steak. <coughs> now, in the first place, how old are you, cook? What do I have to do with the steak? said the old black testily. Silence. Now, how old are you, cook? Bow, bow. I did this, eh? He gloomily muttered. And have you lived in this world hard upon one hundred years, cook, and don't know yet how to cook a whale steak? Rapidly bolting another mouthful at the last word, so that the morsel seemed a continuation of the question. Where were you born, cook? i hatchway and ferryboat going over to Roanoke. Born in a ferryboat hm. That's queer, too, but... I want to know what country you were born in, Cook. Didn't I say the Roanoke country? He cried sharply. No, you didn't, Cook. But I'll tell you what I'm coming to, Cook. You must go home and be born over again. You don't know how to cook a whale steak yet. Blast my soul if I cook another one. He growled angrily, turning round to depart. Now come back, Cook, here. Here, hand me those tongs. Now take that bit of steak there and tell me if you think that steak cooked as it should be. Now take it, I say. "'holding the thongs toward him. "'Take it and taste it.' "'Faintly smacking his withered lips over it for a moment, "'the old negro muttered, "'Best cook take I of a taste. "'Juicy, better juicy.' "'Cook!' said Stubb, squaring himself once more. "'Do you belong to the church?' Mm, "'Passed one once in Cape Town,' said the old man sullenly. And you have once in your life passed a holy church in Cape Town, where you doubtless overheard a holy parson addressing his hearers as his beloved fellow creatures. Have your cook, and yet you come here and tell me such a dreadful lie as you did just now. Eh? I said stop. Where do you expect to go to, cook? Well, the bed very soon. He mumbled, half turning as he spoke. A vast heave too. I mean, when you die, cook, it's an awful question. Now, what's your answer? When this old black man dies, said the Negro slowly, changing his whole air and demeanor, he himself won't go nowhere. Some blessed angel will come and fetch him. Fetch him? How? In a coach and four? As they fetched Elijah, and fetch him where? Up there, said Fleece, holding his tongs straight over his head and keeping it there very solemnly. "'Oh, so then you, you expect to go up into our main-top, do you, Cook, when you're dead? "'But don't you know, the higher you climb, the colder it gets.' "'Main-top, eh?' "'Didn't say that at all,' said Fleece again in his sulks. "'You said up there, didn't you? And "'Now look at yourself, see where your tongs are pointing. "'But, ah, perhaps you expect to get into heaven by crawling through the Lubbers' Hall, Cook. "'Oh, oh no, no, Cook, you don't get there, "'except you go the regular way, round by the rigging. "'It's a ticklish business.' But must be done, or else it's no go. But none of us are in heaven yet, and I say, up, drop your tongs, cook, hear my orders, do you hear? Hold your hat in one hand, clap to the top of your heart when I'm giving my orders, cook. What, that's your heart there? That's your gizzard, aloft, then, aloft. There, yeah, that's it, now you have it, hold it there now, and pay attention. All oh, attention said the old black, with both hands placed as desired, vainly wiggling his grizzled head as if to get both ears in front at one and at the same time. Well then, cook, you see, this whale steak of yours was so very bad that I have put it out of sight as soon as possible. You see that, don't you? Well, for the future, when you cook another whale steak for my private table here, eh, the capstan, I'll tell you what to do so as not to spoil it by overdoing. Hold the steak in one hand, and show a live coal to it with the other. Uh, that done, dish it, do you hear? Now, tomorrow, Cook, when we are cutting in the fish, be sure you stand by to get the tips of his fins. Have em put in pickle. As for the ends of the fleeks, have them soused, Cook. There. Now, here we go. But Fleece had hardly got three paces off when he was recalled. Oh, Cook, give me cutlets for supper tomorrow night in the midwatch. do you hear? Where you say, then? Hello, stop. Make a, make a bow before you go. "'Oh, a vast heaven again. "'Whale balls for breakfast, don't forget.' "'Wish, by bygone. "'Whale eat him instead of him eat whale. "'I'm blessed if he ain't more shark than Master Shark itself,' muttered the old man, limping away. "'With which sage ejaculation, he went to his hammock.